Can you hear me? All right. Let's see. All right. I'm going to be getting to read from Matthew 12, or Matthew 6, 12 through 15. So if you can turn to there. Okay. So the nice thing is I get to preach on forgiveness and in Bible study, Rick got to, to give me an encouraging word that he says, if I bomb at doing this, it's okay because you all have to forgive me. So, <laughs> thanks, Rick. <laughs> okay, so we'll start Matthew six twelve. Let's just read the whole prayer. Okay, starting in 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Some of your verses might not have that in part. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so I'm going to try to... Forgiveness is a pretty big subject. And I'm going to do the best that I can, but I'm not going to be able to take, take on the whole subject. So I'm going to basically attack it one direction. Um, I'm going to try to lay it out as simple and as clear as I can, but I don't have enough time to get all the scriptures to lay the full foundation. So I'm going to start out by tackling some of the harder scriptures that might kind of uh, make people's heads tilt when they read them. And I'm going to go over what, what forgiveness from God is and what forgiveness from God isn't, and then what we're going to be called to. So I don't know... Some people don't really know my background. I, I briefly mentioned it um, one time in uh, communion. I came out of a place that I was very lost. I went pretty dark into drugs, um, you know, and just living for myself. And in that place, part of it, I did a couple years of doing crystal meth every day. Now, if anybody's ever done crystal meth, it's an extremely dirty drug, and it comes with a lot of uh, perversion. So I was, I had a lot of pornography in my life at that time, too. So I was trying to get off of drugs, pornography, and just my character of any time anything happened, I would basically run to try to alleviate myself by, by doing drugs and pornography and drinking and everything that this world gives you to try to pacify yourself. So I, I started, I, I turned my life to God. I, I said, I felt one day, I felt, because I grew up as a young kid, Christian, but I went far away from that. And I felt my, myself one day say, God, I don't even know if I care anymore. I don't even care about you. And when I felt that in my heart, I thought, I'm in trouble. So I turned to God and I said, God, don't let go of me. So I gave up everything. I went out. I, I quit, basically stopped doing my work, which was construction at the time. I went out and started working at my sister's ranch. And I just started seeking God, seeking God, seeking God, because I needed some serious help 
I had my, my marriage was shot. We were going to get a divorce. Everything in my life was ruined. I had done a really good job at messing things up. So as I'm going across and I'm, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm reading my Bible a ton. I'm going through this thing. In 60 days, I finished it two and a half times. You can finish the New Testament about every week, about four, to, four hours a day. That's on top. That's not just studying it. That's just eating this thing, digesting it, getting the bigger picture, seeing what it looks like. Because sometimes we like to take a picture and we like to scrutinize it. But if we don't sit back and see the big picture, what are we scrutinizing sometimes? We might be sitting there looking and saying, oh, I think that's a boat. And then you look back and go, no, it was a bug. It's not, you got to have the full picture sometimes to be able to see what the scripture is telling us. So I was reading in here. And I was seeing scriptures like 1 John 3. So let's turn there real quick. So 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 7 and 9. Little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Okay? When you're coming out of a lot of sin, you're still struggling. You're not walking it right. I'm doing the best I can. I'm turning to God. But when I see something like that and it says, he who sins is of the devil, that creates a problem in me because now I'm saying, well, God, what do I do? Because I'm trying to follow you, but I'm still tripping and falling. So how am I not saved? What is, what is, what is going on? Let's go to Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins remains, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume all adversaries. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and insulted the spirit of grace. So I'm seeing in here some of these scriptures. I can't, I can't go over all of them, but I'm just going to try to tackle some of these hard ones so you can see what's, what this looks like. So I'm seeing in the scriptures, there's, there's something going on here that, that's, that's saying if you're sinning, you're in trouble. There's no place for this. So I'll get to how this looks and what it looks like to be forgiven and what that takes. Let's go to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, 7. Okay. Maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations. 
forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Okay. This is one of the most quoted scriptures throughout the Bible, is that, that passage. So now when you're looking at this and you're going, okay, wait. So it says that he forgives... He's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, devotion and faithfulness, maintaining love and devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. I thought iniquity and sin was guilt. So what is going on here? Why is he saying, I forgive your sin and your iniquity and your this, but I don't acquit the guilty? What's, what's going on? How, what is happening right now? What do, I thought that my sin was the guilt. How, what, what is the distinction here? What is, what is, how can you say one thing and say another thing, and how does that even pan out? Let's look real quick again to Leviticus 1. to start at 4. Leviticus 1.4 is talking about offerings, sacrifices. So he says, Leviticus 1.4, he is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering so that it can be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Okay, so we see in Leviticus one. The offering is a burnt offering, total burnt offering for atonement. Leviticus 4 and 5 talk about sins done unintentionally. So the distinction here is in Leviticus 1, atonement is the payment for sin. It's not forgiveness for sin. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like if, I'm, if, if I have a rock and I'm going to throw it through that window. Boom. Okay, I, I bust the window out, and I go, oh, God, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. He goes, you're forgiven. Problem is, that window's not, this window's broken. I can't fix the window. I, that's something that I'm unable to do is fix that window. So Jesus goes, I got it. I'll fix the window for you. And he comes over and fixes the window. That's the atonement. He makes it right. He has paid a penalty that I cannot pay. So he's put an atonement. He's done the atonement there. But the forgiveness is separate. So there's, it's, it's a package deal. It's not separated. But it, it is, this is specifically for the atonement sacrifice. And then you have the forgiveness. So what he's trying to say in this is the intentional sins, guys, are not forgiven. So if I sit there and I just keep throwing a rock through this window... That's not, that's what he's saying in all this stuff. He's saying this intentionality of sin is not a place of being forgiven. You don't, you can't just be forgiven for intentional sin. But we've all intentionally sinned. It means, repent means to turn. Let me read the definition from the Webster Dictionary on repentance. Repentance is a change of mind or a conviction from sin to God. 
a conversion from sin to God. Repentance is the relinquishment of any practice from conviction that it has offended God. So we all have to repent. In Acts 17.30, I think it says, Although God overlooked the ignorance of earlier times, He now commands all people everywhere to repent. So we're commanded to repent, which means we've, we've been in a sinful place, now we have to stop, and we have to turn from that place and come over here. That's forgiven. But to live in a place of willfulness, like, oh, I know this is wrong, but I'm just going to go do it. He's saying that's not, that's not atoned for. That's not atoned for. That's not forgiven. That's, that place of living is unacceptable. Um, let's go to, we kind of talked to Leviticus. James 1, 14 through 15. Actually, we'll go up to 13 because in the prayer it talks about lead us not into temptation but deliver us from sin. God does not tempt us. God cannot tempt us. He is not tempted by evil and he does not tempt. But God can lead you into temptation. When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, the Spirit came upon him, and the Spirit led him into being tempted. It's probably why he's praying this prayer. Is he's like, that is a horrible thing. <laughs> Please don't lead us into that. So, in James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one, when he is tempted, when tempted, is drawn away by evil desires, his own evil desires, he is lured away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So what's full grown, full grown sin then? What does that look like? What is, it looks like, okay, a person comes in and they stumble and they do something. And they go, hmm, you know, that's ah, all right. And they kind of stay there and they kind of play with that sin. And it just kind of lingers in their life. That thing becoming part of your life is a full grown sin that will produce death. You can't, you, it can't be playing in your life. So, when, we have, when we're tempted, it's our own desires that we have that are tempting us to do something against God. what God has said is okay. When we go ahead and we fall to that temptation, if we stay in that place of fallen, we have left. We have came to a place that we're not covered in. It doesn't say, it's not meaning if you've, if you've stumbled and fallen, it doesn't say that he doesn't cover that. It's saying an intentional place of staying in a sinful place is uncovered. It's not covered to stay in an intentional place of sin. That's a full-grown sin that produces death. Let's go to, uh, how long do I have, Steve? What time? By one? Okay. By one. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say because I'm, I'm blowing through pretty good, so. Um, what time is it normally? Is it like 11.30-ish? Okay. Okay. <laughs> One o'clock, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll just bring the food over and eat. 
<laughs> okay, let's go to Hebrews 12, 14. I'm used to doing communion where I've got to blast through a lot of information quick. Okay. Okay. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with everyone, as well as holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Let me go to a different translation here. Hold on. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone shall fall short of the grace of God, and any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So, I want to just bring across the point of what we're called to right here. We're called to holiness. Without holiness, you won't see God. It doesn't say the blood of Jesus covers you, and then when God looks at you, he sees Christ. That's a thought that I've heard through church, not saying here or anything, but just as growing up, I thought, how can he see me as holy? He must just look at me as though he's looking at Christ, and Christ paid the thing, and now I'm righteous because of what Christ has done. Yes, I am righteous, but what Christ will deal with that in a second. But he doesn't look at me through a filter of Christ. He's gave us Christ, and he's wiped us clean of sin. He's defeated sin so that now I'm filled with the spirit of Christ, and now I can walk and look holy as he is holy through love. See, when he's made, it says when he's made us righteous, there's seven different words for righteous in the Bible. That's a lot of different words for righteous. So what righteous is he talking about? There's to be shown righteous, there's made righteous, there's acquitted righteous, there's quite a few different words for righteousness. So when he's made us righteous, it's a good example would be like this. We've all sinned, we've all been put into a jail cell. Okay, we're in jail. And now Jesus has to come and save us out of this jail because we can't get out. So he's paid the penalty, he's come and he's opened the gates, and now we're deemed righteous, guys. We are no longer in the cell being, being a slave to what we were. We've been freed from what was capti captivating us. But now, here's what it looks like. I can go on and recommit that sin. And you know what happens? You go back to jail. You don't get, you're not just righteous because he's got you out of jail. He didn't just make you righteous so that you could just stay living the same. He made you righteous. We'll get to this one, I think. Is, is We're saved through the washing and regeneration of the Spirit. So we've been freed out of the jail. We've been made righteous. Bam, we're made holy and righteous. We're free. But now we don't stay free unless we walk by His Spirit. That's why the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So now He's given us the Spirit to walk this life. And now we walk in freedom in this life that Christ has paid for, being righteous through actually being righteous through the Spirit of God. Not just deemed righteous, and now we can kind of live and thank goodness for his forgiveness and, 
and being sloppy and we just kind of go about it in our business and we just believe we're Christians because I believe in Jesus. That's not, that's not the state, that doesn't, isn't what saves us. Believing in Jesus is what brings you into the house of the Lord, but it's not what keeps you there. Is any of this making sense so far? Yeah? Maybe? Okay. Okay, let's go to Matthew 5, 48. We've already done this one, but I want to touch back on it because I want to show what we're called to. Matthew 5.48 Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, there's another one. Be holy as he is holy. Be perfect as he is perfect. But perfect means complete, but complete in what? God is love. Be complete and perfect in love, guys. That's the that's goal of the instruction. That's what he's talking about. So you can see, if we take these scriptures that are in the Word, that are very strong, if you sin, if you continue to sin, you're of the devil. No one born of God continues to sin. Willful sin is not forgiven. It's, it's, it's to turn away and look different. Okay, Titus 3, 5. Okay, I'll start at 4. Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared... He saved us not by the righteous deeds we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of new birth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's saving us? The washing of new birth. Renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, we... Let's see, where's, where's my notes? <laughs> Do I have... Oh, I never read, got to John 8. Okay. Um, let's go to John 8 real quick. You can turn in there with me or I can read it to you. trying to lay out a few scriptures. I know I'm jumping through a lot of information and saying a lot of scriptures, but I'm going to try to, if it's not making sense, I'll hopefully try to make sense of it all. Okay. John eight twenty-eight. So when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak exactly what the Father has taught me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. As Jesus, as Jesus spoke these things, many believed in him. Okay, so he's talking to believers, guys. 
Okay? This is to people that believed in him. These are believers. So he said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. They said, We're Abraham's descendants. They answered, And have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say to me, We'll be set free? Jesus said, Truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay. So you can see that when I was struggling, I turned away from sin. And I went, okay, God, I need some serious help. I am in a mess. I have been overcome by drugs, pornography. My life and my, my, my marriage is ruined. I've got some serious problems now. I had no character to be able to function correctly without those things. So when I'm coming in here, now he's showing me, you know what? You come into my house as a slave. I came in as a slave. But he says, but you will not remain that way because if you do, you won't stay in my house. Now you see why these scriptures are saying anyone born of God will not continue to sin. Because if we're in the house of God, we're going to be set free through the truth of what he said. So now the truth of what he's saying to me through this stuff, through the word, is what sets me free. And he's saying there's no place of the sloppy, oh, good thing for God's forgiveness. Thank goodness for his mercy and forgiveness and his love. But that's not where we live from. We live to a totally different place than just being sloppy and just, oh, you know, God forgives me. He understands I'm human. That's not, that's not of the scriptures. He's saying right here, he's saying to believers, the ones that believed in him, he said, everyone has been a slave to sin. You come into the house of my house as a slave, but if you stay a slave, you will not remain in my house. You abide in this word, and then you'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And now you see these things where we relate to like, oh, you know how it is. We just struggle with this or that. You know, we had the Chesney anger in our family. I've, I've punched walls, broke my hands because I was just upset, just angry, just couldn't control it. That's not in my life anymore. None of this stuff is because I've given my life totally to him, and I've turned over, and I've sought him, and I've found things that actually set us free. But as long as we think that we are just humans and God understands and that we can live however we want, we will never get to be holy as he is holy, be perfect as he is perfect, because that's what it's actually called us to. But we've had just things in our life that we haven't dealt with, and we've just kind of niggle-naggled with them and just let them be there. But that's not what this is saying. We shouldn't keep relating to each other, well, you know how hard it is to do that. You know how hard it is to do this. That's not a place that we should be relating to anymore. We should be being renewed, putting off the old, putting on the new, seeing the word, and then you go away and do something different. You forget what you were. You're just deceiving yourself. If we don't make this number one and everything else that doesn't look like Christ needs to be gone and removed. And when we don't see that, we're never going to live to it. We can't rise above what we believe. If we believe we're just human and God forgives us for, 
We're just, we have mistakes and we're going to be flawed humans. You know what we're always going to live to? Mistakes and flawed humans. We're never going to rise above that to what he's actually called us to. To be able to walk by his spirit. To be holy and perfect, blameless, above reproach. That's not saying that, that we're just that by, because that's just how God sees us. Like, he just magically makes it, the dirtiness and grossness, okay. No, he doesn't, he's, he's the same. He doesn't grade on a curve. Because I believe in Jesus, he doesn't go, oh, since he believes in me, I'll just, I'll just overlook all his trash in his life. He doesn't do that. There's nowhere in the word that even relates to even thinking that in here. But if we don't know that, we can never live to it. We'll always just think we're just here, just struggling. But it's the grace of God that came. It says, what is it, Titus 2.11 says, the grace that brings salvation, because we're saved by grace, right? The grace that brings salvation is what teaches us to live godly. We're, we're saved by living godly through his grace, through his spirit. Because we can't do it on our own. But there's one thing he calls us to. Death. Because as long as it's about me, you, anybody else, we're going to be offended, hurt, unforgiveness. And nothing of this is going to produce. Because he says, if you want to follow me and truly be my disciples, you must first deny yourself. Pick up your cross and let's go. Most of our problem isn't the devil, isn't our situation. The most of our problem is selfishness. We're consumed about how it affected me. How this situation hurts me. It affected me. I don't like that was wrong. He's, God has never gave us a place for that. He's never given us a place to say, account the wrong against you. The goal of the instruction is love, which takes no account of self. It doesn't take any count of the wrong against us. Okay, let's jump. Uh, 1 John 4, 15 and 18. Oh, wait, no, let's go John 3, 36. Okay, sorry, John 3, 36. We all know John 3, 16. Let me just read it real quick. And 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world but to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe has already been condemned. Okay, so we know we're saved by believing in Jesus, right? This is true. This is how we come into the house of God. We come in Romans road, right? It says, believe and confess, and you will be saved. This is true. But it's not true by itself. It's true alone, but that's not the whole picture. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now, I don't know what translation you're going to have, but your translations are going to say either believe or disobey. The word is disobey. So let me read it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, 
Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So that word right there, depending on the translation, can say reject, uh, believes. Uh, ESV, I think, says disobeys. The word is apithon, apithon, which means obey. Believe is pistio or something, 4100. That means faith or believe. It's a clear distinction. He's saying you believe, but if you don't obey, still wrath. So you can't separate believing in Jesus from obeying and doing everything he said. So when you come into the house of God, how do you come into the house of God? Yes, you believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. This is true. But it's not true if you don't have the rest of the scriptures in it. Like John 8 that says, if you come into the house of God, you came into the house, but you stayed a slave. You don't remain in the house. Because only a son stays in the house. And a son is free. Um, 1 John 4.15. Sorry, guys. I hope I'm not just flooding you with a bunch of stuff that you're <laughs> trying to grasp or not. But I'm trying to lay it out with scriptures like, uh, like we do here, it seems like. So. Okay, 1 John 4.15. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and believe that love, the love that God has for us, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. In this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, for in this world we are just like him. Okay, let me stop right there for a second. Okay. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in you. But we know there's conditions to that abiding. And even another one states it right after that. And we have come to know and believe that God, the love that God has for us, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. Okay, so, so to abide in God, you have to abide in love. Because God is love. Whoever abides in love, abides in God, and God in him. In this way, love has been perfected among us. Okay, so love is perfected when we abide in God. When we abide in love, the love of God is perfected in us. In this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, for in this world we are just like him. Okay, so our confidence in the day of judgment isn't, I believe in Jesus. That's not actually my confidence when I come to the judgment seat. My confidence in the day when I can go up and go, okay, this is the end of my life, I'm confident to come into judgment because I believed in Jesus. That's not going to be your confidence. Your confidence, he says right here, is that you look just like him in this life. Your confidence is that you look like Christ. Your confidence is that you're perfected in love. See, Jesus isn't the ticket. He's the way to the Father. So the way to the Father looks like Jesus. We are brothers of Christ. We will look just like our teacher. Anyone perfectly trained will look just like their teacher. So it's not believing in Jesus. I know this might 
possibly ruffle some feathers. But I'm hoping that just the scriptures are speaking for themselves that say, believing in Jesus gets you into the kingdom of God. It gets you into the door. It gets you into the heaven. It gets you into the place as long as you also stay with what it's saying to you. Because he's saying our assurance in the day of judgment is that we look like him, which was what? Perfected in love. Okay, so now let's go into the next one. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Okay, so there's no fear in love. So it just is stating this is how you can be assured that you have confidence in the day of judgment. You look just like Jesus. You're perfected in love. But if you have, if this is the standard you're judging by, and you have fear of that day of judgment, it's because something in you is saying, I'm not perfect in love yet. I should have fear of judgment. See what it's saying there? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So it's saying you're in fear of punishment because you know you're not walking perfect in love. So our, our assurance is we look like him, perfect in love, and if we are taking that standard and we're saying, I have fear of punishment, it's because love needs to be perfected in you. See, this, when you see it this way, things really start to matter in your life. Things really start to matter how you're walking. Because this is actually what he's paid for. He's paid for each one of us to be fully walking in the perfect love of God. That sounds a lot better than struggling in my problems. Because I had a lot of them and I was drowning really bad. I was dying and I needed something extremely strong because there was no way that I could walk in anything of this. Because I'm sitting here watching and I'm reading this stuff and I'm going, God, this is not me. This, how in the world, what do I do? And I sought the best that I could, and I was going as hard as I could with beliefs that I had, but I'd come to an end of myself, and I was trying to do everything I could to see and be what he's called me to be, but I couldn't get there. And I felt like I would come into a room, and there was no way out, and it was dark, because I couldn't comprehend. I thought, this is the path, this is the way. And I'm struggling to walk in what he's called me to walk and be a son as he's called us to be. But I'm struggling and I can't find the way out. And I'm pushing against and I'm pushing. I know the answer's through this wall, through right here. And I get tired and I give up and I lean back and boom, I fall through a spot. This is literally what it feels like in my life as I was going through some of this journey. And I can't see anything, but I feel an opening here. But the opening in the wall is so small that I can't fit through it. It feels like I can get through this but I can't fit. How do I get through a spot that I can't fit through? Part of me has to die. Something in me is still alive, being offended, hurt, feeling of myself, my own ambitions, my own ways, all these different things. And he's going, you can't get any farther in that place. You're the problem. You have to die. You have to get through this place. If I want to keep going with God, the problem that stops it is me. The parable of the sower talks about the ones that are on the path. They don't have any root. The devil comes and snatches them away. The other ones don't have any root. The other ones grow. They, they mature. The word of God matures and grows. 
but the cares of this life before it could produce fruit. Isn't fruit what we're supposed to be called to bear to God? The fruit of the Spirit? So before we could bear fruit, the seed is planted, but before we could bear fruit, the cares of our life come and choke it out. But the one that did bear fruit bore fruit to God. One, the first one, the, the one prior was sin. He was tempted, fallen to sin. Second one, the fruit was choked out by himself, by his cares. The next one, fruit. So our problems that we're going to be going through is because we're wrapped up about ourselves. And Jesus said, deny yourself. But if we have these things and we don't understand this clearly, we'll think that we're just okay to be doing whatever we want and thank God for his forgiveness. And it leaves a person to walk in something that's not even what he's paid for or what he's said. Okay, let me see. 1 Timothy 1.5, goal of the instruction. The goal of the instruction. The goal of our instruction is love. It comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and sincere faith. Okay. There it is. So the goal of instruction is love. Pure heart, conscience, sincere faith. Now when we get down to, let's jump to Luke 7. Luke 7. Luke 7, 39. Okay. Luke 7, 39. Okay, when the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, Is this man, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this is and what kind of woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. Okay, so he was eating at a Pharisee's house, and a sinner woman came in and starts crying and washing his feet. And so the Pharisees thinking, if this was a prophet, he would know, because you're not supposed to touch anything unclean, and he's letting this unclean person touch him. So if he's a prophet, he would know that this woman's bad. He wouldn't be doing this. So Jesus answers him and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. I like that. He answers his thoughts. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men were debtors to a certain moneylender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. But when they were unable to repay him, he forgave both of them. Which of them do you think will love him more? I suppose the one who has forgiven more, Simon replied. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And turning to the woman, he said, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, because of her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Okay, so, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. Goal of the instruction is love. If we don't recognize and see that what the degree of what we've been forgiven for, we're not going to be able to love. 
Because who's been forgiven much loves much. So he says in, in one part, he says, repent that the wickedness of your heart might be removed, forgiven. So when the wicked, wickedness of our heart is removed and forgiven, we can love much. So I might have been in a place that did, in this world, did, wasn't good. Sold drugs, used drugs, pornography, all kinds of stuff. Just extreme slave to sin. But every one of us are in the same boat. We've all sinned and are guilty of hell. That's really what we've been forgiven for. So everything that we've been walking through and everything that we think, well, I'm not that bad. That's what this Pharisee is thinking. Oh, that's a sinful person. I, I haven't done that much. He doesn't even recognize how much he should be being forgiven for. When we understand how much we've been forgiven for, we're going to be able to love. We're going to be able to love more. If we have a struggle with, with forgiveness for somebody, it's because we're not comprehending how much we've been forgiven for. And we're not able to love that person because we're still wrapped up about us. See, you, you can have a real hard time forgiving somebody if it's still about you. You're just going to. But in, in what we're called to in our faith, we're not supposed to be about ourselves. That's why Jesus makes the example. He makes it several times in different locations. The same thing. This debtor owed him a lot. That's the Matthew one. This debtor owed him a lot of money. And he went and forgave him. I think we have time. Let me just jump there real quick. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 20, wait, 22. Okay. Jesus answered, I tell you, not just seven times, but 77 times. Because of this, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began, began the settlements, a debtor was brought to him, owing 10,000 talents. Since the man was unable to pay, the master ordered that he should be sold to pay his debt along with his wife and children and everything he owned. Then the servant fell on his knees before him. Have patience with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. His master had compassion on him and forgave his debt and released him. But when that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he grabbed him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and begged him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you back everything. But he refused. Instead, he went and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they went and gracefully distressed. They went and recounted all this to their master. Then the master summoned him and declared, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debts because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned to him to, to the jailers to be tortured until he should repay all that he owed. That is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So our debt that somebody else can do against us looks like, call it 100 bucks. And we're holding them account. We've got a record of wrong. We don't like them anymore because of what they've done. They, they've, they've done that. It's messed up. They shouldn't have done that. I know other people, they've done that too, too. And then we want God to forgive us of $40 million. 
and then, and then we're going to hold 100 bucks against somebody. He's calling that evil and wicked. But if we understand that we owe God $40 million debt that nobody here can pay. See, our sins against each other are really to God. We might be influenced by them, but you're accountable to God for it. They're accountable to God for it. And when we become the judge about that thing, then we're not a doer of the word, we're a judge. And there's only one judge, that's God. So we're not here to judge when somebody else, because guess what? Who here has been saved all their life and walked perfectly? Yeah, nobody. So if you've messed up, where's your care and mercy for the other person that's messed up? Because God made that person. And if we hold something account against them, aren't we doing it against ourselves? Because if we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, so now that person that you might have a problem with, you take them as, that's you. That was you. If you were in that place, wouldn't you want somebody that was found to be helping them and to love them and pray for them and have compassion and care for them and die for them? Jesus died for sinners. Isn't that what you'd want somebody else to do for you? So if you see a lost man, don't you want to be put in your saying, if I was that lost man, I would want somebody around me to help me, to save me, to show me something different than being self-consumed to be upset because I've done something wrong. I did a lot of things wrong. I wanted somebody to be in my life to help me. So who is it? us when we're called to walk like he's actually said. This is what he's paid for. This is what we're forgiven of. We're not forgiven in a place to stay in a sinful spot of disobedience, willful sin. We're not, he didn't pay for that. He paid for sons, not forgiven sinners. He paid to make you a son and to walk in everything he's given you. Not by our ability, it's by his grace and his spirit. We establish this through faith. Luke 13, 3. Unless you repent, you will perish. And we read before about what repent means. Repentance is a change of mind, a conversion from sin to God. We go to Acts 3.19 real quick. Repent then and turn back so that your sins may be wiped away. See, it's not a place to be able to stay in a place that's fallen in sin. Sin full grown produces death. So we're tempted by these things, but then when we cave and we do them, don't stay there. Go, okay, I I screwed up. Get out of there and know that that's going to produce death in your life. If you stay in that place, you're going to be a slave to it because he says anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And a slave does not reside in the house of God forever. But a son who is free, resides in the house of God forever. The way is narrow. The path is hard. Very few find it. 
says these things for a reason. We're called to something very strict, very straight. But it's nice because it's something that we were never created for. We weren't created to live in the fallen nature of Adam. We are created to be sons of God. And everything that this life, everything that you feel like you have a right to, you weren't made for that. You were made for him. And so everything that you're feeling you have a right to, that you're having a hard time giving up, you're holding account of that wrong, that's why you're struggling in this life. When you lose your life, you find his. And then it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then we walk in freedom. So if we see things in our life that don't line up with Christ, don't make excuses for it and say, I know everybody, one of you relates. I mean, who hasn't got mad? That's not the answer. The answer is submit to God. Relinquish that thing. You know, the question was a good question. The question is, can you forgive someone but dislike them? That would make a lot of sense naturally. But this might look like this. Jesus dying on the cross and goes, God, forgive them. But man, Johnny, I do not like you. Ryan, I can't, you drive me nuts. I forgive them, but you drive me nuts. I don't like you. It doesn't really fit there because he's love. Because if he was holding that account of what you've done wrong and messed up, even though it's been a lot, if he held that account of you, he wouldn't be love. And he wouldn't be free from you. He'd be affected by you. God's not affected by us that way. He's not up there going, oh, man, guys really just bug me. Man, his attitude and his personality, he just bugs me. God's not irritated by us. He loves us. And when we see this clearly, and we have our belief system correct, then all these things will straighten out because it's the truth that sets us free. So if we see it clearly, we'll be set free. Okay. Pretty much made it there, Steve. Just a little past. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for setting us free, sending Jesus, making the way, the hope. Help these words to rest in our hearts. God, I ask for your help your guidance in our life so that we will walk about this in fellowship with you, being fathered by you in all things so that we can experience your freedom. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I don't know who has communion. All right. (laughs) 